Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Hello, and good to be back with you today on another episode of this show. It brings me so much joy to be here and to know that if even one person is listening and gets something from this, I am doing something right. So I think that I'd like to start to try to loosely tackle one of the greatest books of all time, a small undertaking, but I think what I've realized is that personally I've started a true exploration into into the Bible, into my faith, into not just organized religion and what that brings, but my roots, my background, my ancestors' background, and religions across the board. And it's fascinating to me because I think there's so much wisdom that's encapsulated in not only religious texts, but the stories that seem to trickle down throughout generations and what we can gather from those stories and the wisdom that others have gathered so that we don't have to suffer quite as much in our lives. And don't get me wrong, you can't replace, if you're going through a hard time in your life right now, if there are certain elements of your life that are stressful or difficult, no amount of wisdom can replace, I think, the the physical sensation of stress or pain, or if somebody's got a diagnosis, or if you lost your job, or if there's some kind of disappointment, you've got you've got a divorce or broken up with, or you're having trouble having kids, or you're trying to lose weight, or you want, you know, all these things that we want in life and we sort of grasp after sometimes. I'm really noticing that, well, surrender is probably the word of the day for me, because otherwise, (sighs) I mean, I think this is such a foundational phrase and really just the wisdom to know the difference, right? Between the things we can and cannot change and that whole concept that really, I think, is is very profound. And when we know the things we can't change, and there's a, I think there's a difficulty there for for us, for people, where we sit there and we go, okay, when, when should I continue to push? And when should I acknowledge that, okay, I've, I've, done enough I've acted enough and now I need to leave it in God's hands the universe's hands whatever um, higher power that you release that sense of oh I really need to guide this control this I need to plan and and so it's such a funny continuum and so what I'd love to do actually and of all people I wouldn't say my mom was particularly religious actually I mean I grew up sort of doing the conventional rites of passage of the Catholic religion, christening or baptism, first communion, confirmation, and you sort of go through your new year faith. But I think, I think sometimes the Bible feels really difficult to understand, dense, it's a large book, how do I relate this to my own life, what can I gather from it. Sometimes it seems violent. I've, I've read um, the book of Ecclesiastes uh, and right now actually got the book of Proverbs and it's actually really pretty. It's a pretty one. Um, so what I was saying, my mom isn't necessarily religious, but she has this, the, this series, it's not all of them, 
So it's by Alabaster, wherever that is, Alabaster Company. And they're very pretty. It has lots of nice images. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see. Um, so I wanted to sort of go through and just talk a little bit about a, a few course snippets that I really love from the book of Proverbs. And again, like, I, and I wish if you're, if you're not watching on YouTube, it'll sound a bit funny, but with every page, with every chapter, there's just a gorgeous photo or visual. And some of them don't necessarily relate to the content, in my opinion, but they're all stunning. A lot of it are, are nature photographs, um, random scenes, a couple churches, some fields, animals, fruits, random sort of moments, little snippets. But I wanted to get into the book of Proverbs because I think a lot of people hear about it. It's called the book of wisdom. It's considered to be one of these sort of really important books because it sort of outlines wisdom, these, these wisdom kind of things that we should consider. Um, and they're written by Solomon, David's son, who is the king of Israel. I will not pretend to know all of the history. There's so many different people, storylines. Again, I, what I'd like to do is bring the book of Proverbs let's say down to life and just explore a couple things. And if you find that interesting, then you can explore it yourself uh, and maybe go to other books and maybe not. But I always wanted a succinct sort of look into the book of Proverbs. So let's go chapter by chapter. There's another book uh, by Joyce Meyer. She does go into sort of a chapter by chapter version. And there are a lot of books and probably even other YouTube videos that go sort of step by step through the chapters. I'd like to have my take. So today, that's what we're going to do. And if you like the episode, please do consider subscribing, reviewing, liking, commenting. I read all the comments and they mean a lot to me. So as I've said, we're really, in, we're really engaging with the book of Proverbs to gain wisdom, to learn the right, quote unquote, or wise ways of living. And one of the foundational commandments is to honor your father, honor thy father and thy mother. And I actually had an interesting conversation with my husband about this the other day because, okay, how much do you owe your parents? What, what does that look like? What is honoring them? It can be a whole discussion in and of itself. But this book really starts out, the book, the book of Proverbs really starts out by saying exactly that. Honor your parents, listen to them, hear their judgments, and pay attention because people will try to pull you away from wisdom, from your parents' wisdom, from God's wisdom. Um, and there's sort of this evil path. I think one challenge with the Bible often is if you read it super literally, there are a lot of stories. This book is more sort of telling you the right way to behave in a sense, but there are a lot of stories and sometimes it can feel like, how do I relate to, you know, a group of people crossing a huge sea or um, when people are being violent or these sort of situations that don't maybe happen in our day-to-day -day as much today. I mean, depending on where you are, maybe they, maybe they do. Um, but these texts have really stood the test of time because I think the principles that the stories impart, and that's an interesting thing to sort of discern and dissect because while the story itself may seem far away or apart from what it is that you're going through, there can be, I think, a learning. And the version, actually, the version of the Bible that you read is really interesting because 
some of them will be more dense or more difficult to understand than others. So it's sort of a choice of which, which Bible and are you reading the new or the old Testament and really like actually what version, how did the person translate the actual text? Because there are different iterations, even of specific words. I mean, we can go into super huge detail, but anyhow, just to say that I think, and that's why I like this, this series, because it's pretty accessible. Um, So the idea here is listen to your parents, avoid going down an evil path. People will try to pull you into a mischievous or dishonest path, really correct course, try to stay true to the wisdom that your parents are imparting. That's the first sort of piece. Then there's chapter two, talks about really granting a sense of wisdom by walking in integrity. And I love that bit. It actually says, um, he grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. So as you want insight, you want wisdom, you want understanding, the idea is to tune into the word of the Lord, the words of God. You can do this even in silence. I think that's what's interesting about meditation, which really is foundational in Buddhism. But when you see in churches, traditional churches that can sometimes be deemed as boring or um, quiet, I think the the pushback is, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. This doesn't resonate with me. Why there's so much silence. I think the idea there is to be in a sense of contemplation, this contemplative sort of approach. And in that contemplation, the idea is that you're getting these insights, this wisdom that God will be speaking to you, through you, with you. Uh, And and that's sort of the idea, I think, of that sort of solemn, solemn feeling, that really contemplative environment of the church. And so I, I would say that chapter two is talking about the benefits of wisdom and it's talking about how wisdom will really save you from all sorts of challenges and it'll help you avoid pain and issues if you follow the right path. And it talks about really crying out for insight, looking for understanding, seek wisdom, look for wisdom, learn, learn to, and it talks about fearing the Lord and that's actually something else I'd like to touch upon because a lot of, a lot of, um, I think people will say, for example, um, certain countries are God fearing countries, or they have this reverence and respect. And so sometimes fear the Lord, it can feel, I don't know, angry, or there's some sort of need to be scared. I think it's to me, at least my interpretation is having a reverence, having, um, a respect for the the power that is something beyond yourself the the re, i think and with that fear of the lord you come to the realization that you can't control everything you come to the realization that wow it's this humbling sort of like when you sit you look up at the stars or you listen to the ocean and you feel this humbling of wow i'm just this tiny little being here in this blip of time for this exact second and then i'll be gone i think i think it's a bit of that where it's a reminder of how small we are, how humble our beginnings as a little baby. And even before that, how humble our beginnings are, how fragile we are, how limited we are, and how 
how wise and how powerful this sort of energy that surrounds us, that's beyond us, this bigger force, these all of the different forces surrounding us. Even if we just look at nature, um, I think we see this a lot. If there's a natural disaster, people are really humbled by that. And we recognize how little we really do control as an individual in the grand scheme of things. Even someone that's highly powerful, an executive or somebody that's higher up in government, there's still only so much that one person can control and there's so many factors at play. So the idea of fearing fearing the Lord, fearing God is to say, I think it's a reminder to stay humble and to revere that bigger power and that which is more than us. And so it's not necessarily for me, I think there's a bit of fear there to say, hey, uh, I'm not, I'm not on sure footing here in, in, in that I can't control it, but you can be sure that that bigger power is really going to take care of everything. And that's where you are reassured. That's where this, this second chapter talks about the, the benefits of wisdom. Um, he grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity. As I said, it's really this, you will be protected if you walk in alignment with goodness. And that's not to punish someone. I think there's this kind of punitive guilt idea with, with religion and sometimes Christianity or Catholicism. There, there can be this sort of punitive element. And I don't think that's even what this is about either. It's that if you walk if in a pure, if you build a life of integrity, if you walk in a life of integrity, your soul and you will be at peace. You'll sleep better. You'll feel better. Things will seemingly flow and work better. Will they be perfect? No. Will you be immune to pain and sadness? No. But you'll be walking in this sense of honesty and truth. And that allows for this higher power to keep you safe versus if you go down a quote unquote evil path or disingenuous, lying, dishonest, etc. And we kind of know this inherently, right? And it's interesting. And that's, that's what's interesting about the Bible and different religious texts is we sort of think, oh yeah, but we don't need the Bible to know what's right and wrong. And I think that's where we need to kind of stop and consider how do we know what's right and wrong? How do you just grow up kind of knowing, oh yeah, you shouldn't kill someone? Why? What, I mean, why not? <laughs> right? Why, why do we grow up knowing that? Why do we grow up you know, honor their father and their mother? Why do we grow up with a sense of reverence and respect for the people that have brought us into the world? Why do we grow up being told, you know, don't be jealous, don't envy your neighbor, don't steal, don't lie. These are things that some people do. And I think the more we go on that off path, let's say, the more we go off path, it's not that you need to pay up a certain amount or even repent a certain amount, you know, sometimes I think like you're supposed to go to church and the, the priest will give you a certain number of, of prayers to pray. And then you're sort of healed and forgiven. And I mean, that ritualistic approach, I think there's benefit in having ritual and having, having the experience of forgiveness. I think there's something really powerful there. That being said, God always loves you. It's just a matter of, are you going in the flow of things and the pattern of things with the goodness of things, the light of things, or are you going into the darkness? And, and that's where we see it. Not that things are just black and white, right? Or binary, but that 
there is a way of living. There is a way of being. There are things that we do that make us feel like we're being good people, make us feel lighter, make us feel assured that we've, we're living a, a good life, satisfied. There are other engaging behaviors that we can engage in that feel wrong. They feel like we wouldn't want to tell our best friend or our mom or, you know, it's that kind of thing. Like if you wouldn't tell your best friend, should you do it? And the more you're doing things that you, or your grandma, (laughs) the more you're doing things that you wouldn't be proud of people or your grandparents or someone you respect knowing, I think more we're walking away from wisdom and the ideas in the book of Proverbs. So there is a big thing also in this book around um, respecting the the covenant of marriage. And so that sort of continues in chapter two, where it talks about wisdom will save you from the immoral woman, from the seductive words of the promiscuous woman. She's abandoned her husband and ignores the covenant she made before God. And of course, if you're not married, you might say, okay, they're going to go on and on for chapters here about adultery and not cheating. But I think we can, again, apply this to different scenarios where when you get married, you make a promise to God, you make a promise to yourselves, but if you do it in a religious fashion, you are making a promise to a higher self, to the community or the family, the people around you. You're making this higher order promise to people. And I think that the same goes when you make any sort of promise or commitment. So if you're not married yet, or if you're dating someone even, but you've made a commitment, you've given your word. I think, again, this is about being integrity with your word. And so marriage being seen as one of the biggest commitments you can make to another person in this lifetime is considered very sacred because it's a choice. You're making this conscious choice to partner up for life with this other person even with their flaws, even with their challenges, the days you love them, the days you struggle with yourself, the ups and downs, sickness and health. I mean, we all know the the bit on that, right? So I think it's highlighting that particular commitment because of the magnitude of it. We can definitely apply this idea to any commitment that you make to others and to yourself. Let's be real. A lot of the times the commitments we make to ourselves are some of the hardest ones to keep because we allow ourselves to get out of things. So what if we were so in integrity and so pure and so real with our word that when we told ourselves, hey, you know what? I really want to take care of my body better. And that means I'm going to go on a walk, do meditation, go running, whatever. And I want to do that every day. I want to carve out some time every single day for that. Being in integrity and being so pure to say, this is a commitment I made to myself. It's so important. Not drinking anymore, um, not having caffeine, whatever. Certain relationships that really don't serve you. Saying, look, i got to take care of myself. This is not making me feel good, respected, loved. I've got to distance myself and not going to let the guilt get over me. I'm going to stay in integrity. I think that's what we're looking for here. And they just use marriage because, not just, it's a huge commitment. Chapter three, trusting in the Lord. So it says to store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. So, and it talks about giving you favor. You'll have a good reputation. Let the Lord in with all your heart. Seek his will in all that you do. Again, this idea that 
having this wisdom more profitable than silver, her wages are better than gold. The idea that wisdom is so precious and that we will really prosper if we follow the wisdom. And it just continues to say, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. I think that's interesting. And it's the idea that, again, we can say the universe, almighty God, it's the words sometimes I think dissuade people, but it's idea, this idea that don't reject when you're doing something or off course and you kind of get this sign, you don't get the promotion, you lose the job, something happens that you're being course corrected that you couldn't control, you didn't plan, and it just hurts. And you think, why? Why is this not working? But if you keep kind of pushing in a direction and not letting go a little bit and surrendering a little bit, here it's saying, you know, don't reject the course correctment. Don't reject that just because it's not what you had envisioned on the timeline you had envisioned. The way you had envisioned doesn't look the, the way you thought. That's okay. It's going to work out better than you thought. That's so powerful. <laughs> and I've seen that in my own life where I've had some ideas about timing and approach and what it'll look like and how it'll be. And the more I get hung up on how, when, and stuck in that, the more unhappy I am. And things never work out how I plan them. I can, plans are good. I'm not, I'm not here to dissuade you from planning and visioning your life. I think it's so important. I do it myself. But then the intricacies, the when and where, the, the little moments, I think it's so important to let let some of that go to some, something bigger than you. And of course, it continues to remind you, you know, please, if you follow, you're going to prosper multiple different ways. Um, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. They will keep you safe. You can sleep, sleep soundly. The Lord is your security. So it's this idea that having faith will keep you safe and build your wisdom. If you listen to God, that will bring you wisdom that will ultimately make you prosperous. Another, another sort of idea here we're looking to solidify. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can't help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. If you can help your neighbor now, don't plot harm against your neighbor for those who live nearby trust you. Don't pick a fight without reason when no one has done you harm. Don't envy violent people or copy their ways. Such wicked people are detestable to the Lord, but he offers his friendship to the godly. So here we're hearing again a little bit about the commandments, right? Like envy and stealing or picking a fight here, harming your neighbor, help your neighbor. These are things that if we think, okay, what's the right thing to do? These things are so entrenched in our society and our moral code in the Western world that we sort of think, yeah, of course. Of course, I wouldn't harm my neighbor. Of course, I'm going to, you know, help if I can. That's the right thing to do. Why is that the right thing to do? Because we've been told that for generations. Because if you're always trying to expand, let's say, your plot of land, and you do harm your neighbor, and you kill off your neighbors so that you get their land, and you continue to conquer and steal, that's a very unstable environment that probably we don't want to be in day to day. So that we see how this is instilling peaceful life of harmony and well-being in a very simplistic way. And we take it for granted because we are living in it now 
and we hopefully more often than not assume good intent from people. We do that because we're saying, Hey, I'm going to do my best to help you. I'm going to do my best to be a good person. I'm not going to, you know, uh, I'm not going to leave my garbage on your lawn. I'm going to, you know, maybe help you shovel your driveway. If you're an older neighbor or you need help, I'll bring you a meal. If you're feeling sick, like these are things that we do in community to support our community that we take, I don't want to say for granted, but it's all written right here, which is so interesting. It's, it's really, well, I think it's really indicative of how pervasive these words and these commandments or these ideas are that you don't have to read the Bible to kind of sit there and go, yeah, obviously Kalina, that's the right thing to do. Like that's what good people do. Why do good people do that? Why do good people support their communities? Why is that? Why do we have that need? We're sociable beings. We're connected beings. We want to belong. Makes us feel good. So I think a little bit about this book, at least for me, is also discerning what feels good because it's expedient versus feeling good because it's the right thing to do. Um, There's a bit of a chapter coming up where they talk about, and I realize I'm actually going... (laughs) going a bit longer on each chapter than I would have liked because um, maybe I'll do this in two parts because there are 31 chapters here. So let's get a move on. Chapter four, um, pay attention and learn good guidance. Don't turn away from my instructions. Take my words to heart, follow my commands and you will live. Again, wisdom, develop good judgment, listen to the words of the Lord. And prizing wisdom. If you prize wisdom, if you honor wisdom, you'll have a good life. You will succeed and be protected. And it talks about how how the Lord, or in this chapter four, a wise father. And obviously we see this a lot, I think, with the Bible where a wise father is also encapsulating um, God as the father of Jesus, if you are in the Christian tradition so kind of take on that approach which is very relatable right we all have hopefully if not a father father figure or we have some males in our life or fatherly representation in our lives and when we don't I think this is where we see a bit of challenge and struggle as well and we see that a lot in the research actually where if you don't have that influence in your life you struggle immensely and obviously on the side of the mother as well. So these also, and not that it's necessarily written here, but I also take this as this pivotal relationship that we see with God and Jesus, that this, the son of God, right? This sort of really powerful relationship that I think we can bring into our own lives and say, and, that, and again, then loops back to honor your father and your mother, even when it's really difficult, even when they haven't necessarily done a perfect job there's so much to unpack there. I, I really probably have to do another episode. Um, it's another comparison between good and evil in this chapter five that they will lead you in a straight path in your life. If you follow the goodness, and it's interesting as my grandfather has aged, I'd say that he's sort of saying these things, you know, follow a straight path, be a good person, do these things and you'll be okay. It's interesting as he's this fatherly or grandfather male presence imparting this wisdom downward on his grandch on his kids of course and on his grandchildren to really impart this exact lesson of I'll teach you wisdom's ways I'll lead you in straight paths I'm going to show you the way to go and of course what do you do if you don't have that 
And that's where I think finding good male role models, female role models, people that are living a life that you respect and admire is so important if you're finding that the close relationships in your life don't give you that critical. And I think we often forget that maybe or feel sort of stuck with the circle that we have. I think it's a really good reminder to say, hey, I can also turn toward good people, good community, even if I'm in a situation where maybe it's not in my immediate family. Maybe I can bring my immediate family into that goodness. Maybe I can reinvigorate their connection, right? Like it's, it's so cool. Um, I love this, part, um, this little passage here. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they're stumbling over. So again, we kind of talked light darkness. And here we see that put again, again, you know, listen, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. You said a lot here. Um, It says to guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Um, It says that to avoid all perverse talk, stay away from corrupt speech. And of course, right, as a kid, your parents say, don't curse, you know, they try not to curse around you. And somehow as an adult, we go away from that. And we think, oh, whatever, that doesn't matter. It's just a word. It's an expressive word. It's cultural. My friends do it. It's a, it's just normal. It doesn't matter. I think when we're not careful with our speech, I think what we say hugely hugely influences what we bring into our lives and so that's where careful speech really comes into the picture and so much being said on that right now in the realm of free speech and what that is and what that looks like and I I just think from the perspective of what we're seeing here in chapter four we're really talking about okay don't speak in a corrupt fashion look straight ahead fix your eyes on what lies before you Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on a safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Again, it's kind of look forward. Look to where you're going. Be mindful. Chapter five. I'm just looking at the time. I just love this so much. I have to do another part because I have a really good time with this. I hope you are too. Um, so chapter five is about avoiding immoral women. Some people will get up in arms about this. Again, I want to reiterate, I think it's about not being seduced by things that are immoral. And so, yes, literally here, we're talking about don't cheat on your wife. Don't go down the path into a promiscuous woman's house and defile her, if you will. But really, we're talking about immoral behavior of any kind being seductive and alluring, very attractive. We need to be careful of going down the road of quick quick uh, wins that we think are going to be a cheat code in life. We need to be careful about straying away from our commitments, from our, from our integrity, having relationships with just anyone in an intimate fashion. I think sexual promiscuity is a really, really big topic as well, because of course, when we stray away from ourselves and that purity in some sense it can sound archaic but any sexual partner we have is truly impactful in our lives one way or another and we have a physical connection that we don't share with everyone right or many people so 
the idea here is to reserve that intimacy for the partner you've chosen for your life. And similarly, I would say reserving the intimacy of perhaps your feelings, thoughts, and closest musings, most important intimate details. I mean, maybe it also extends, right? Maybe this isn't just physical, but also the idea that even your relationship with God is very, very personal. And then we get so close with our spouse and that's another layer of intimacy. And I think it's just really interesting. It's just talking to me, chapter five is really, yes, literally saying, you know, don't cheat on your wife with a prostitute. Don't cheat on your wife with an immoral woman. Uh, but I think we can take more from this actually. Let's kind of zip through the next few, at least get to chapter 10, let's say. So chapter six, I like this one because it comes with some practical, practical stuff. Chapter six talks about um, money. So if you're going to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you've trapped yourself by your, your agreement and are caught by what you said, save yourself essentially and get out of it. So don't lend money to your friends or put up security for your friends is the idea. And if you have debt of your own, pretty much get rid of it as soon as possible, I think too. We're looking here about also being lazy, not a good thing. I think we hear a lot of that in our culture now, right? I mean, we've got super hustle culture and super go, go, go. Um, one thing I will point out in this chapter that I think is important is it talks about a smart person. Let's see here. Um, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. So it's, it's also that there are seasons and cycles. So I don't want to just perpetuate, okay, you're, are you being lazy? Are you working all the time or not? I definitely am an advocate for seasons of life. And I think that this is not saying that you're always in an eternal summer. This is saying there's seasons for things. And are you honoring the season of life that you're in, the season of the year, the day? Are you honoring that? Are you working or are you fluffing off your responsibilities? So careful here, right? Because we can kind of we can kind of push this off and say, I'm exhausted, I'm burnt out, I don't feel good, this is too much. And now what? I should listen to this book that says that I'm lazy because I don't work all the time I don't think that's what they're getting at here at all I think it's really about making sure that you work when it's time to work so that when there is that winter season you have your harvest to rely on until the next season of harvest so there are seasons of hardness and seasons of rest but poverty will pounce on you like a bandit scarcity will attack you like an armed robber if you don't prepare for the seasons, the winter seasons. Um, you know, don't lie again, that's not good. <laughs> we talk about this religiously here a lot. And then we have, there are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always in your heart. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. 
again, speaking to how this goes through generations and that it is really an oral tradition as we've seen that, hey, this is so pervasive, you don't even need to think about it, right? Kind of interesting. So you have the seven things the Lord detests, not necessarily commandments, but again, no adultery, no stealing, you know? Yeah. Essentially, no prostitutes, which we don't uh, we don't want. All right, chapter seven, another warning about immoral women. So we understand here, it'll be really seductive. There's a whole kind of explanation about how the woman will approach you seductively, sly of heart. It'll be really, you know. And again, I think we can look at this and say, oh, is there something in your life that's kind of seducing you that seems too good to be true, or? Um, really easy, but it kind of seems off, your gut feels off, sneaky, something up with this. I think it's listening to the word of the Lord here and not going into her bedroom, so to speak, because that will be your death. So not allowing yourself to come, succumb to the call I guess right this woman's standing outside she's very attractive these calls these seductive calls to let's say something that um beside a symbol or really really alluring things that don't have substance and aren't going to bring you long-term satisfaction and go against your integrity and your word okay let's go to chapter 10 how about that so we'll be done in a few minutes because I am loving this I hope I hope it's useful. I find this fascinating. So book of Proverbs chapter eight, wisdom calls for a hearing. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. Um, she's asking for people to use good judgment, that you should speak truth, that wisdom's advice is wholesome and plain. Choose wisdom over silver and knowledge rather than pure gold. Again, we're remembering that we really want to use our common sense as to right and wrong because this is really built into us as well, knowing what's right and wrong in some sense and using knowledge and discernment. So the wisdom in this chapter talks about really disliking Pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. So pride and arrogance, we don't like people that are full of pride and arrogant, right? And there's a reason for that. I mean, they're being boastful and it's not really fun to be around someone like that. And if they're corrupt, we can't trust them. Perverse speech, again, I think, takes us down that road of corruption and anger and not a good road if we're constantly cursing. Not because it's not satisfying, but again, it's that kind of, if we really take care in how we speak, there's more satisfaction than just cursing and being lazy with our speech. And it's the same thing as being with the prostitute versus honoring and revering your wife and having that long-term, meaningful, loving relationship. It's what's expedient versus what is meaningful. So there's that. And essentially you will be prosperous and everything will work out for you if you follow wisdom in this regard and that wisdom was right there when the lord formed everything else the lord formed me from the beginning before he created anything else 
So, and the last here, but those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. So again, you're just walking into dangerous situations. You're putting yourself in more difficulty than need be. And it's cautioning against that. Chapter nine, wisdom has carved its house with seven columns. It's talking about come with me, come and use good judgment. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. Don't bother correcting mockers, but correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. Again, fearing the Lord, that's the foundation of wisdom. We're hearing this in chapter nine. And wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. So we hear more about the benefits and also that the foundation is fearing the fearing the Lord. Again, I think keeping us humble a little bit here, right? So Bali calls for a hearing, still in chapter nine. Again, this is a woman who's ignorant, doesn't know it. Another example or story, come with me, come with me, right? Stolen water is refreshing, food eaten in secret tastes the best, but little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. So don't steal, even if it's appealing. And I think that's a big lesson in all these chapters so far is there's an appeal to being bad. It feels good to be bad in some sense, right? But in the end, and we see this in like blockbuster movies, we see this in our own life day to day, we will suffer, right? And it's kind of like, oh, you know, you, you take a you take a shortcut or you do something that you know is not right. It's like, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's just this little thing. It's just a parking ticket. It's just like, whatever, whatever. But you suffer, right? Because you didn't pay for parking, you get the ticket. Maybe not every time, but you get it and it hurts. And it's like, if I just did it properly, it wouldn't have had this issue. And I think that's what we're talking about here. Last chapter 10 for now, <laughs> the Proverbs of Solomon. So here we go. A wise child brings joy to a father. A foolish child brings grief to a mother. Tainted wealth has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. The God will not let the godly go hungry, but he refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. A wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. So again, we're not talking about don't rest. We're talking about understanding the seasons of work and rest and following these patterns. And there's such a pattern bigger than ourselves, man. Like I've had this agenda in my life, right? Where it's like, oh, I just got to push through. I just got to do it. No, it wasn't my season of harvest. And then there are times where contracts and clients and ideas and everything is flowing so smoothly. <sighs> That's when we capitalize, when things are going quickly and we need to know the difference. And we need to be there and put in the work when is needed. And that's not the same for everyone. It's not the same type of work. It's not the same responsibility. So this isn't a one size fits all, but it's saying when it's the time to work, do it. And, and then reap what you've sown. And we know this again, so inherently, it seems like such common sense written in this book. And yet it's all here for us to know if we, let's say, didn't have that influence or wanted to refresh, wanted to really deeply understand or delve further. Again, just the godly are showered with blessing. The blessings, the words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. We have happy memories of the godly, but the name of a wicked person rots away. 
So people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. People who wink at wrong cause trouble, but a bold reproof promotes peace. Hatred stirs up quarrels. Love makes up for all offenses. Again, this kind of dichotomy that dark and light, goodness and evil, this idea. Treasure knowledge. The wealth of the rich is, is their fortress. The poverty of the poor is their destruction. The earnings of the godly enhance their lives, but evil people squander their money on sin. So we're even learning, okay, how should we spend money? This is line by line telling us how to behave, right? And that we'll be blessed if we behave well. And again, it's not never make a mistake. It's a guiding light. It's a, this will make your life easier and better and you'll succeed if you do it. And not succeed in any sense, like, yes, material blessings in a sense, but it's more, it's blessed, it's health, it's well-being, it's peace, it's peace, it's a peaceful life. Who wants to be arguing all the time and lying and cheating and stealing, um, following after, you know, these meaningless prizes like who wants that doesn't feel good um people who accept discipline are on the pathway to life but those who ignore correction will go astray hiding hatred makes you a liar slandering others makes you feel a fool to talk too much talk leads to sin be sensible and keep your mouth shut again i think some of these things can feel strong right or rough but there's there's definite thought behind it and it's that kind of babbling idiot persona or the fool, the jester. And we want to make sure that we're checking ourselves. And the fear of the Lord, the fear of the higher power will keep us in check with ourselves, not getting too haughty or foolish or keeps us in check. And we like that as humans, actually. Funnily enough, we do like to be kept (laughs) in check, even though this might feel like that kind of disciplining father, but actually humans... I think to some degree, love structure and discipline and that the certainty that comes with that. So more about what it is that we should be doing. Lazy people irritate their employers. (laughs) Um, The fears of the wicked will be fulfilled. The hopes of of godly will be granted. So doing wrong is fun for a fool, but living wisely brings brings pleasure to the sensible. So it's just reminding us of the fruits of our labor. The lips of the godly speak helpful words, but the mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words. The godly will never be disturbed, but the wicked will be removed from the land. The mouth of the godly person gives wise advice, but the tongue that deceives will be cut off. So with that, I say, let's make sure we speak in integrity, live in integrity today so that not only do we live well, but I think I think we'll feel well. And the last sentence I'd love to leave with you, which actually on the back of the book says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So I hope your path continues to take you into exciting and prosperous places. And I'll see you next time for part two of what seems to be becoming a three-part series since I love chatting about this so much. Thank you for being here and I'll see you next time.